Okay, who planned this service and put me right after all the adorable kids? I, that's what I want to know. So neat to see you here today. And I hope you feel welcome and you've enjoyed being here. So uh, what, are you what are you doing with your life that's going to last? What are you doing with your life that's going to last? What are you doing with your life that, that really matters? What are you doing with your life that's going to last? What are you doing with your life that really matters? What are you doing with your life that really satisfies you? When you think about those things. What are you doing with your life that lasts? Or could I say that lasts forever? What are you doing with your life that really, that really matters, that, that makes a difference? What are you doing with your life that really satisfies, really fulfills you? A couple other questions, just think about those. What are you, this is bad grammar, but you get it. What are you really good at? What are you really, what are you really good at? These are all going to go together in a minute, but what are you really, really good at? What is it that when you do it, you just feel a great deal of joy or, or pleasure or fulfillment, or you feel like, I, I'm better than the average bear at this? What, where, or, or, or another thing that sounds different, but it's kind of the same, and that is where have you experienced God in the time of hardship or weakness? When you think of all these things together, what lasts, what matters, what's fulfilling, what am I good at, where have I experienced God? These things all go together in a very important way, and we're going to the last two points, if you will, of the book of Titus. We've called it the Little Red Book of Church, and I'm going to explain this by maybe telling you a story about a little girl that grew up in the mountains of Kentucky. In the mountain counties of Kentucky, people go by their county. They usually don't go, go by their town. They usually go by their county. If you are, if I'm speaking at a camp in Kentucky and I say to the kids that are from the mountain counties, like, where are you from? They'll say Estill County, or they'll say Wolf County, or they'll say Breathitt County. Well, this little girl was from Wolf County, and she lived in Campton, and uh, she went to school there, and there was a release time missionary that would come to the school from time to time. And of course, you, you probably know me well enough to know that I'm talking about Lois, my wife, when she was a little girl in this little t mountain town, in this little school, and this release time missionary would come. And, 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 and this little girl with her long, dark hair and her dark eyes and her perfectly cut little bangs and her mom took such, very, such good care of her was one of the favorites of this visiting missionary and she memorized some verses and because she memorized these verses this missionary later gave her a gift and she received it when she was a little girl second or third grade and the gift was a plaque which she gave me and I lost but I will never forget it <laughs> every once in a while Lois says where is that plaque that the missionary ga lady gave me when I was in the second grade and I kept it all of my life and I'm like I haven't found it yet but here's what it said. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You've heard that before. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So God, 
in his infinite love, he designed a way for all of us to be involved in something that lasts, something that matters, something that's fulfilling, something where we can use our God-given gifts in a way that lasts, in a way that matters, in a way that is fulfilling, it's eternal. And that's something, guess what it's called? It's called the church. That was his plan for the church. I, I read a book. I don't know why I do this, but I, I read books about farming. I wrote a book of, about a farm, even though I'm not a farmer and I will never be a farmer. I didn't even grow things that well. But there's something about, maybe it's pastoral. I was reading this book about this couple that they got a farm up in upstate New York, and they were, they were uh, bikers, uh, cyclists, like, you know, without a motor bikers. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's probably not the right way to say that. But anyway, they, they bike into town, and they have this experience. I want to read it to you. It's a, it's a church story. Okay, are you with me? Here's how it goes. By the time the tent was pegged down, it was nearly dark, we retrieved our bikes and we retraced the last part of our ride back into the little village of Essex, New York. I was bone tired, female speaking here. I was bone tired. I was still jet lagged from a recent trip to Asia. And the only thing I wanted more than sleep was food. For some reason, we'd failed to bring provisions, and my blood sugar was dropping below the level required to keep me sane. I wanted food like a wolf wants food. I wanted food so bad, I was angry about it. I sat on a bench outside the town hall while Mark went to explore our options. When he returned, we sat, he sat down, and he put his arm warily around me before delivering the bad news. The only place to eat was the inn, and they wouldn't take us. Despite the empty tables that we could see through the window, because we didn't have a reservation, there were no stores, and the next town was a five-mile ride away, mostly uphill. It was fully dark by then. I didn't think I could make it back to the farm, let alone the next town, without something to eat. I considered, I considered whether or not I'd be arrested if I were to sleep on the bench, and I decided I wanted to be arrested because they'd be required to give me a ride to the jail in a car, and they would feed me. It'd probably be something perfectly acceptable, like peanut butter sandwiches. The only traffic light in town blinked endlessly to an empty street, and we were fixed in that tableau of misery by the glare of a pair of headlights pulling into the parking space in front of our bench. A man with silver hair got out, carrying a covered casserole dish. He smiled widely at us, noted our bicycles, and he asked us uh, where we were coming from and where we were going. Mark told him we'd come from Poughkeepsie and that we were camping at Essex Farm. Well, he said, are you hungry? Even in my desperation, I could feel a no thanks on the tip of my tongue, the city habit of distrust toward any show of unsolicited kindness. But Mark had already accepted on our behalf, and the man led us across the street to the basement of a big stone church, and he opened the door onto sounds of clattering silverware, chatter, and laughter rising up from a sea of gray hair. It looked like we were crashing some kind of geriatric mixer, but I didn't care because... <laughs> Kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Anyway, uh, I didn't care because I had caught sight of the long tables against the wall, crammed with food. I could see plates of sliced ham, baked beans, mashed potatoes, bright-colored jello salads studded with fruit and topped with blobs of pastel Cool Whip. The man who'd brought us asked for everyone's attention. 
and 50 lined faces turned toward us. He introduced us as a traveling long-distance bicyclist who wouldn't mind some dinner, and the room erupted in applause. The next thing I knew, someone had me by the elbow, guiding me through the crowd toward the tables laden with calories, placing a plate in my hands, pouring me a glass of iced tea. I wondered briefly if I was stuck in a dream, if this was some kind of cruel mirage, but soon I was seated and I was eating. It was the kind of food that grandmothers make, the kind invented to fill the stomach of a ditch digger or a farmhand. I ate biscuits and gravy, green beans with slivered almonds, a drumstick of fried chicken, an urn of hot coffee, and an entire table was dedicated to desserts. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everyone in that basement knew one another intimately, and most were in some way related. Many of the people I met that night would become important in our lives. The man who found us on the bench was Wayne Bailey. A few years later, his wife Donna would knit a pink sweater with white piping for our infant girl and a little cap to match. The small wrinkled woman we sat next to, her name was Pearl Kelly. She told us that night that she loved biking until she turned 90 and couldn't get her leg over the bar anymore. <laughs> she, she would bike from her house to the ferry for a joy ride across the lake. Three years later, I was milking a cow when her daughter-in-law came out to our farm to tell me that Pearl had died. She had farmed all her life just down the road from us. Her vegetable stand is still there, paint chipping, ridge poles succumbing to gravity. We went back to the farm that night, fed and warm in all ways, carrying pieces of cake wrapped in napkins. Listen, listen. I was entirely unused to that sort of common kindness. I didn't think communities like this were supposed to exist anymore. I don't know if we usually realize how wonderful a, even a small or medium-sized local church is when it's filled with love and kindness and obedience to the commands of Christ. In the book of Titus, in the first chapter, verses 1 through 3, we introduced this series a while ago, and we said, this is big. Remember that? I'm in. I'm all in. This is big. I'm in. I'm all in. This plan that God has for small churches and medium-sized churches and large churches to do his bidding with people and to help and to show his love and to give the gospel and good works, this is big. This goes way back, and it will stretch way out into eternity, and we can be a part of it. It is the way that we can do something that lasts. It is the way that we can do something that matters. It is the way that we can do something that fulfills us. This is what God made us for, as simple and sweet as it is. And listen to these verses in Titus chapter 1. Paul, servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, Titus 1.1. For the sake of, and listen how big it is, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. You remember that? It was a few, it was a few weeks ago. But now we've made our way through this, uh, this whole little uh, letter, the 40-some verses, 47 uh, verses of 
the little red book of church. And we've come to the end. There are two more things that Paul tells Titus to tell the people before we go. And that's kind of where we are today. And so our text today is the, the last couple little sections, which begin there in verse 9 and go to the end. I'll read it, and then I have two things I want you to see about this. And of course, multiple subpoints, right? So, verse 9 but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. He's saying, you know, Paul saying, Titus, don't get involved in bickering over little stuff. Let me read that again. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies dissensions and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable they're worthless for a person who stirs up the vision after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him i think when leo preached this text he, he said he worked at the title bit and said he came up with at the end with when elders stand tall Somebody has to stand up to this kind of thing when people are being divisive because this is going to ruin the whole thing. When we decide that we're going to subdivide over all kinds of little things and minor points of the law, then the leaders need to stand tall. They need to stand up against that, and that's what that says. And then the last section is interesting. It's kind of like a little patchwork quilt of people. It says this. I'm sorry, verse 11, I didn't read that. Have nothing to do with him knowing such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. And then this little patchwork quilt of mentions of, of people, and it's probably more pregnant with meaning than you realize. And, and when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, he says again, right? So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now remember, just a handful of verses, and he spends a few of them naming these people and giving them greetings and using terms of endearment. There's something here that's a part of this whole thing that comes out wonderfully <laughs> in a boy walking past a church and hearing the voice of God go in. Or a couple that's famished being invited into the basement of the church for a meal and then becoming a part of the life of that town something going on here now there are just these two things and we've read the text and i'll tell you what they are and then i'll talk about them a little bit i've spoke i've said they're, they're profound things but i'm going to say them in the simplest way so they kind of stick to your ribs just these two things first what, what's he saying paul is saying to Titus, tell the people to stick to the main thing, right? Don't get involved in endless genealogies and disputes and, you know, bickering about stuff like that. Stick to the main thing. And if you've been paying attention, you know the main thing is the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, that those who believe in him will be born again, and they will have a life of good works that results from that, 
They're not, they're not, they're not good so that they will be saved. They're saved and they're, they're good. Their, their goodness or is because, the, it's because they're saved. They do the things they do because of what God did in them, right? You know this. And, and, and he's saying, stick to this. And, the second, and that's really verses 9 through 11. And in, in verses 9 through 11, you're going to see, you know, you don't get involved in these divisions. And, and the other thing you're going to see, uh, that's like in verse 9. And verses 10 and 11, you're going to see, and don't let other people do them. You have a responsibility not to be involved in that yourself. You have a responsibility to push back when other people do. Stick to the main thing. This is a big deal. This is a wonderful church. All real churches are. This one is especially wonderful. I've been around. I've been at this 40 years. I love saying that. Have you ever noticed that? 40 years. At Lois, isn't this true? And we've served wonderful people, wonderful churches. We've been kindly treated for the most part. But, but, this is wonderful. This is a special place. These are special people. We still want to mess this up. We don't want to break this. We want to invite others into it, to be transformed by it. An irresistible community of genuine love, people who really love the Lord, that you can trust, who will love your kids, who will forgive them if they make a mistake, who are tolerant and when they need to be people of conviction, but people of compassion that don't nitpick about little things that don't matter, but they keep the main thing, the main thing. There's always going to be a place for that, even if those people aren't cool. Did you get that story? All the, all the old gray-haired wrinkly people with the good food? That became a part of their very life, and they grieved when they died. Stick to the main thing. And the other thing that we're going to see in verses 12 through 15 is it's really clear there's a team of people here, and, they're, and, they're, and they work together. It's not, a, it's not a Lone Ranger thing. Now, we do believe in Lawn Rangers. <laughs> and if you want to be one, and you qualify, we might give you a try. But we don't believe in lone rangers. Our lawn rangers are a team. Anyway, that's the second thing, and we're going to see that in verses 12 through 15 in, in an, an amazing cluster of people there, but we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get there in a minute or two. Let's go back here and look at verses 9 through 11 again. Let me just read them again to you. And, and you know, you're going to see in verse 9, don't be involved in this like subdividing over minor things, verses 9. And then you're going to notice in verses 10, it's like you got to push back when other people do it. And I'll explain that in a unique way that I think will help you remember it. Hear it again, though, from the word, but avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. They are unprofitable and worthless. So you don't get involved in that. Avoid that. Don't be involved in it. And, and you can take each of those words out and you can put common things that we tend to subdivide over, which you are not going to get me to say right now. But you know they're out there. Like, just look at Facebook, Christians like this or that, and then you have your, you have you, your quotes or, or your links that you're going to send people to or your opinions. And really, when you think about that, when people have dusted up over all of that, they're not really hearing the music of the gospel. Let me tell you a parable. Would that be all right? A parable. This didn't happen. I'm making this up. All right? So the couple 
are fighting. It starts out in a pretty innocent argument, just kind of going back and forth about something about which they disagreed. They have a little girl. She's in bed. She's probably not listening. And then the argument, kind of the heat turns up, and it gets louder. And after a while, now they're exchanging verbal blows, and then now they hear some weeping from the next room. And they go in, and the little girl's crying. Can't we get along, she says. The next night when they threw her to bed, she says, Mommy, I think we need to go to church. Mommy says, well, that's fine, but why? And she said, well, you know, maybe we won't fight so much if we go to church. So the couple, the imaginary couple, they, they get up on Sunday morning. Dad makes breakfast, and they get around early, and they get all dressed up, and, and they go to church, and it's a nice church. They go in, and they realize, oh, there's a, there's a place in the foyer where they can get coffee. And so they go to get coffee, but the people are kind of bunched around the coffee, and they're not moving aside. And there are two ladies in particular. They have their back to this new family, so the new family can't hear them. So, so the new family says, well, let's just take our little girl down to her Sunday school room. And so they take the little girl down to her Sunday school room, and then they come back to get a line for coffee, and the ladies, you know, are still there. And they realize the ladies are, they're in a conversation. They can't tell what it's about. They think maybe they can't really hear it all. Maybe one of them is for immunization, and the other one is against immunization. I'm making this up. And now the the temperature kind of goes up a little bit and they think maybe they even hear Bible verses quoted but they're not sure but they really never get any coffee because they go back and they get their daughter and they go back to their car while they're walking back to their car people are coming in to church the mom had her head down just walking to the car somebody said they thought they heard the little girl say daddy why are we going home and they heard the daddy say because they can't help us here Listen, what we have is so beautiful, so valuable, so weighty, so important, so lasting, so eternal, so fulfilling. We don't want to mess with something else, right? Like my grand, two of our grandkids, they're so precious to me. They're with us this weekend. What, what may, we live on the, on, the, on, the, um, on the line. Our house is on the line between Summit Township and, and Spring Arbor Township. And I, and I know they kind of probably share emergency vehicles. I don't know. But let's pretend, let's pretend that our, our house is on fire. And, and my grandchildren, our grandchildren are in the upstairs bedroom. And they come from the food, two fire departments, from Spring Arbor Township and, and from Summit Township. And they get there, and the place is on fire. And the children are upstairs. And then the, then the fire firefighters start to argue about who's going to use their whose ladder they're going to use I'm like the house is on fire people I love are perishing that's what Paul is saying don't get involved in that the whole world is on fire people that I love are perishing can't you learn to get along and get them what they need do not get involved in all of that bickering and subdividing over all of that stuff. Don't be divided by minor things. And you think about this, and he's really saying, if you think about it, don't be distracted from the main thing. Being divided, being distracted, it's just the work of the devil. You just don't want to get involved in that. So, so here's another way of saying it. In verses 9 and 10, it's saying don't be involved in that. In verse 11, it's saying, and if somebody is, here's what you do. And, and there's like a three strikes and you're out policy here. You see that? Uh, the person who stirs up division, 
in verses, uh, verse 10, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. You ghost him. In the, in, the, in the book of Titus, you can't see this, but in, in my Bible, I put green highlights on the hard parts. I just did that. It's interesting. Rebuke them sharply, it says, to the false teachers there in chapter 1 and verse 13. Verse 15, I, I'm sorry, chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, teach and doctrine. And then in, in the verse 15, it says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So in other words, there is something that we say this is, a, this is a truth that we must guard and this is a truth that defines us and this is a truth that we do not give away. We are people of conviction, but we're also people of compassion and this governs the way we behave about preferences and minor decisions about things. And this is important. There aren't many verses in this book and some of them are about this. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Remind them, don't let anyone disregard you. Verse 8 says, insist on these things. And then verse 10 says, once a person is offended in this, once, twice, they strike out, have nothing to do with them. You ghost them until they completely and thoroughly repent. Here's how that might look in a church. I have a pastor friend who has very broad shoulders. He's a very good guy. And he says, in our church, together with others, they build a wonderful church up in Shelby, Michigan. And he says, here's what we do in our church. If somebody comes into our church, like, and they're new, and, and they, they, they start attending, and then they start the divisive talk about minor things, he says, here's what we do. He says, I get a couple of, they have, they have deacons there. He says, I get a couple of deacons, and then we go over to their house. Or I send a couple of deacons over to their house. And we knock on the door, we come in, and we sit down with them. And we say, we understand that you've been, you know, kind of gossiping. We understand that you've been, you have some things that you're against, and you haven't come to the leadership over them, but that you're talking amongst yourselves. We just want you to know that we love you, and we're glad you're here, but we don't tolerate that at Shelby Road Baptist Church. We just don't tolerate that. Now, Pastor Bob McNeil is kind of like John Wayne. You know, I can't lead like that, but I've always kind of admired him. He just says, he sends people over to say, we don't do that around here. Now, however that works, we have to say, hey, it's not okay to say unkind things about other people here. It's not okay to bicker about minor things here because the house is on fire, the world is on fire, right? So here's, a, here's another way of saying it, and then we'll move on because I'm sure you'd appreciate it if I would do that. And that's this, you can sin with your tongue, and you can sin with your ears, right? Verse 9 is don't sin with your tongue. Don't get involved in saying things you shouldn't be saying. And by the way, we don't have any problems here. I'm not, you know, I'm not, but I just want you to know we have a large group of godly elders, and it's okay for you to go to any of them anytime you want to about anything regarding the church. Not about other people, right? But I mean, just like, if you have a question about something, I'm just saying, it, this, is, this kind of uh, helps keep a church unified. The men meet every Saturday morning and pray. They meet once a month for a couple of hours to confer about the church, to pray for you. They meet once a month with the other men of the church to pray. It sounds like they meet every, it's just every Saturday morning. But, um, and, and they care about you. And, they, and they're, they're sincere about this. And they, they're supposed to kind of know everything. If they don't, and you ask them a question, they don't know, that's probably, you know, kind of our fault. They, 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 if they don't know, they'll get you an answer really fast. And it's okay to talk to them. It's not divisive or wrong or bad about any question you have. So we're not, I'm not correcting a problem here. I'm 
preaching the text here. I'm just saying, you know, as we go along together, one of the neat things that you can always do is you can come to any one of the elders that you feel comfortable chatting with to ask about a church thing. And if they can't answer you right away, they'll get with the other elders and we'll get back with you. And, and because this will keep us moving together towards this great objective of doing something that lasts, something that matters, something that's fulfilling, that nobody else can really do but a small, medium, or large church of the living Christ. We got to stick together and stick to, we got to stick to the main thing. That's the deal. Let me give you one other obnoxious illustration about this, because I have to. All right, so like, like we don't sin with our mouth, and we don't sin with our ears. You sin with your mouth when you say divisive things. You sing with your ears, though, when you listen to somebody else. And the scriptures are saying, don't do that. So in other words, you know, there's instructive listening, right? If I'm telling a story, and I'm trying to be funny, and you don't laugh, you're giving me instruction. You're saying, that ain't funny, right? Like, this happens to me all the time. Uh, right? Or if I, you know, if I say, you know, like if, like, like if I say, isn't Duke your favorite basketball team? You're going to go, no. You're going to, like, ask is over there listening instructively, very actively. No, Duke is not my favorite. Like, that's, that's uh, you, you slow down your nod or you stop saying, uh-huh. This is sometimes sin not to listen instructively. Does it make sense? One of the ways that a whole church can kind of affect this divisiveness is for people not to sin with their tongue and not to sin with their ears. So we want to be really good at that. That's what Paul is saying. He built that into this little primer on church, so it really must be important. I'll give you a quick example of this, and I would hope this wouldn't happen here. It really doesn't happen here, but things like this can and do in any church. So, so I had a youth pastor who called me one Sunday afternoon a number of years ago that was uh, our youth pastor. And he said, Ken, this is something really exciting. We have a mutual friend who had gone downtown to a Tigers game on Sunday. And the friend calls the youth pastor and goes, hey, you know what? I'm coming back through town tonight. And I was thinking I would stop and we could talk and I could hear Ken preach tonight. Um, but like, does your church have a dress code? Because I just went to the ball game and so our youth guy goes, don't worry about it, man. We just love to see you. Don't worry about it. Come right ahead. And so he stops by the church a little bit early, and our youth pastor is out there, and he's wearing a blue blazer and, a, and an open-collared dress shirt and a pair of jeans. The, the youth pastor's wearing this outfit. And an older man in the church walks up to him, and he gets up to him about the same time that the guest comes through the door. And now they all meet at the same time, and the older man in the church says to the youth pastor, you are not dressed like a pastor tonight, are you? And when he said that, the young man patted a guy on the shoulder and said, man, it's great to see you. And he walked out the door, and he never came back. Now, I didn't make that story up. One of the sweetest things, it's probably not a big deal, but one of the sweetest things, when I came here and I spoke for the first time, I think I had a blazer on, it was a summertime, and then the elders had a meeting right after that, and in the course of the conversation with the elders, I think it was Neil Veit just said, you don't have to worry about wearing a jacket if you don't want to here. Well, that's good, because I don't know if Jesus owned a blazer. <laughs> it's like, I said, I like this church. I like this church. And I like Neil, for the record, yeah. Anyway, two things. Be slow to set someone aside, right? It's like, strike one, I'm warning you. Strike two, I, I'm warning you. But number two, be willing to set someone aside. Be slow to set someone aside, be willing. Don't sit with your mouth. 
Don't sin with your ears. Don't quickly set someone aside, but be willing, especially divisive people. By the way, the word is heretic, and it's come to mean false doctrine. But the idea is a divider here. It's a divider in doctrine. So if you're not really careful, if you think heretic, you can actually reverse the meaning of this and get the exact wrong meaning. Are you tracking with me? This is for all the smart rats, okay? Think about it like this. If we think heretic, we go, oh, we've got to make sure we warn all the heretics here. Does this make sense? Now, certainly, if a person is not orthodox in their doctrine, then leaders should train them and teach them and patiently instruct them and take them aside, and they should be open and they should grow like Apollos, who gets named later. That happened to him. A man and woman team came to him and said, hey, you're, you're an awesome guy, but, you know, you haven't heard the whole story. Let me tell you the whole story. And he listens, and he's the better for it, right? So that's a good thing. It's a good thing to instruct someone about wrong doctrine. But this passage really isn't so much talking about a person whose doctrine is a bit off. It's talking about a person who is divisive. And so it's not saying the opposite of what it's saying. Are you, get it? Are you getting it? This passage is not saying whatever you do, you want to be a beady-eyed heretic exposer. I mean, you certainly should graciously correct people whose doctrine is not orthodox. That's important. But this passage is saying, warn a person who's divisive. And then warn him again. And if he keeps doing it, ghost him. Have nothing to do with him because we can't let the roots of that go down in the church. That's kind of interesting. And it's also, it's kind of heavy. So let's just move on to the next little chunk, which is in verses 12 through 15. And I, and I love this because it is one of those places in the Bible where there is a list of names of people. And, and notice the list. You've got Paul who wrote the letter. You've got Titus, um, who is uh, the, the, the missionary gospel worker on the island for a time there. Um, the follower becomes a leader, right? You have Artemis, who's named only here in the Bible, but he is famous because he is named here, but he's only named here. And then you have Tychicus, and he's named in other places. He's beloved, and he's a faithful person. And you have Zenos, who's the only lawyer mentioned in the Bible. Doesn't mean he's the only Christian lawyer. Don't go out of here and say that. That isn't true. Um, that was a cheap humor, which got me in trouble with people. They was like, Zenos the lawyer was um, named only here, but he was useful, and you, as you're going to see, it says, you know, Zenos is, is the, he needs to, he, need, he needs you to give him whatever he needs. And then an Apollos, whose story is amazing in the Bible, a very, very gifted man, an eloquent man, a Greek man, who's eloquent, he's humble, he's used to the Lord. And then there are people, he mentions, the Cretan Christians in this text, you'll notice this, and then he knows the needy people, cases of urgent need. Are you tracking with me? I'm telling you all the people groups that are in here, right? And then you have all who are with me, Paul says, all who are with me. He's speaking for them. And then he says, and he names the people with Titus as those who, do you see it in your, in your Bible? What are they called? Those who love us in the faith. Those who, that almost the last word in Titus is, you know, say hi to all of those that are with you, you know, the ones who love us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any more powerful than that. It doesn't get any more meaningful than that. It doesn't get any more lasting than that. It's like when people love each other in Christ's name, you have these, these groups of people, church, God's way, understand this, is the team effort. That was the thing I didn't tell you last week. You know, when we said it's good news and it's good works and it's not good news and good works 
one, one at a time. It's good news and good works as a team because we all have various giftings. You get it? We're all gifted in a different way. We, we, we don't, any of us do it all ourselves, right? So, so like when, when Jacob comes by and, and the Lord says, go in there, somebody had mowed the lawn that week. Somebody had planted the flowers and pulled the weeds that week. There was a precious Christian lady at the desk. When he came in here in the auditorium and prayed, she came in and showed him kindness. The air conditioning was working that week. Somebody had taken of their hard-earned money and had given it in the offering as to the Lord, and the air conditioning was working. It was a team effort, as all good things are. God is at work, and he works with us, and none of us do all of it. Sure, there's an Apollos who's eloquent in the scriptures, and, and, the, and yet there's another man who's named, and he's beloved, and there's another man who's named, and we don't know exactly what it is he did, but he's supposed to get whatever he needs, as, as it says here. I sent Artemis and Tychicus to you. Do your best to come to me. So Paul's saying to Titus, I'm going to send you a couple of replacements. You come and be with me for the winter. Let's talk shop, right? Do your best to speed Zenos to Lord and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. They're a part of the team too. Get them what they need. And the people who gave them what they need are a part of the team, right? It isn't like the pastors are the good guys and the people that go off and work in secular work and pay the pastors are the second class guys, right? It's like, no. You know, the, the good women and the good men who get up every morning and hurry out of the house and commute and do what they do and they give their gifts with a trembling hand and worship to the Lord are not secondary to this. They're primary to this, right? That we all together are teams. So I'm, here's what I'm getting at. Be really encouraged here. You don't have to do everything. You do what God gifted you to do. And you do that realizing that God's going to gift other people to do And you respect the people who are different than you. Respect the people who see the other side of the same coin. And he says, and it'll help them on their way in a, in, a beautiful, in a beautiful way. And so when people are fulfilled, and when they're joyful, and when they're satisfied, and then when they're convinced of the reality of the living God, and they experience church the way they're supposed to experience church, then they're operating the way God made them to operate. This might be something that you've been missing. Now let me ask you before we go. What if we took an MRI of your soul? What if we put you in that big long tube? Don't you love those things? And then we, we said, what's in their soul? When we saw your spiritual insights, would there be genuine conviction there about the things that God says are important, about the gospel, about his word, about who Jesus is? And, and, and would there be compassion, genuine? Listen, would there be genuine compassion? Everything, you know, set aside all the other like the, you know don't look around but imagine you're looking around now you see all the regular folks here who we are and we're kind of rough around the edges and sometimes we're kind of irritating and we're different and we see things differently sometimes like the, if we put you in an MRI would there be of your soul would we see love in there for those people there it is they really do love people even if they're different or even if they don't understand them or even if they hurt their feelings, they, there's love there. This is the program. I, I once, and this, this matters at last, I once talked with a guy who'd been powerfully used to the Lord. And he said, when I was a boy in high school, 
in the suburbs of Chicago, a, a, a leader in the Kansas City Youth for Christ movement took me to Kansas City for the weekend to a rally. He said, on the way to the, to the rally, we talked in the car, and he tried to teach me and train me and disciple me. This man said to him, to the young man in the high school, he said to him, the, the young man asked the older man, I, I'm trying to decide about an extracurricular activity that I want to be involved in. And he says, can you help me decide whether this is something I ought to do? So the older man said to him, well, I can't answer that question for you, but here are a couple questions you can ask yourself. Ask yourself this question. How will I feel about that extracurricular activity in five years? In five years, will I be glad that I did that? He goes, and then here's the second question. He said, how will you feel about that extracurricular activity in eternity? In eternity, will you be glad that you did that? So the young man thought about that, and he decided that he'd set aside that club that he was going to be involved in. Not that it would have been wrong. It wouldn't have been wrong. He decided that he would directly try to do something to influence his classmates for five years and for eternity. He decided that he would come up with some creative ways that he could give the gospel to his classmates. And here's what he did. He came up with a unique birthday card with a personalized message for every one of his classmates in his large suburban LaGrange High School in the Chicago area, large suburban high school, and he decided that he would send a birthday card on their birthday with his personal message, and they would call them on the phone, and, that he, and the, the, the birthday card had the gospel in it. And this is what he did one year. The next year he did something else. The next year he did something else. Out of that grew a youth ministry. Eventually he spoke to over 3 million people. He took me in his office one day, and he goes, I'd I like to show you something. I don't, I don't show everybody this, but, but I'd like you to see it. I'm like, okay. He sent me in his office, and in his office was a huge walk-in closet, a, lar you know, a large walk, a, a small room, but a, but a large walk-in closet. And he opened the door, and the, and the walk-in closet was filled with file cabinets, maybe 20, four-drawer file cabinets. And he, he pulled the drawer open, and there neatly, you know, A, B, C, he says, these are the testimonies of people whose lives have been changed that got involved in the, the teaching that the Lord allowed me to give over these years. And as we pulled those drawers out, there was drawer after drawer after drawer of people who'd gotten saved, who'd have their marriages saved, had uh, help with their parenting. Here's what he did. He took the gifting that God gave him, and he did something that lasted something that mattered and something that was fulfilling. Now the scale for him was huge. And the scale for me and the scale for you may be smaller. That's not our business. That's God's business. Here's our business. Take what God gave us. The message of the gospel, the good news, and the good works that come from it. Wherever it is that we live, we obey the Lord and we're faithful to him. And then we're doing something at last. And then we're doing something that matters. And then we're doing something that's powerfully fulfilling. And that might be small, or that might be medium, or that might be large. But God, the, the 